You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Oh man, I think my favorite part in that video was when the, the kid was asked what they like to do, and the kid said, I like to clean my room. I'm like, where is that kid? Let's get that kid to be the example for everybody. Or how about the one when the kid said, you know, um, what I love about my mom is that her hands are warm. You know, it's like, that's funny. Like, we don't think like that. But I mean, all you have to do to be a great mom is just have warm hands. That'd be great if that's how it really was. But hey, it was, it's amazing to see the kids, they really love their moms. And I think a lot of times we can be highly discouraged uh, about just this idea of motherhood. And I know there's a perhaps moms in a room that tried to have kids and couldn't have kids. And, you know, maybe God's opening the door for fostering or adoption that we talked about last week. And if so, if that's you, we've got fostering and adoption class that we're offering uh, next Sunday after the service. Be really cool to check that out. Um, But we've got foster moms in the church. We've got adoptive moms in the church. Uh, We have... uh, mentor moms in the church. We have spiritual moms in the church. We have biological moms in the church, all sorts of moms. And so we think about like Mother's Day and like how to honor mothers and why it's important. Well, some of you might say, well, I've got a bad mom and I don't know if I can honor my mom. Well, at least she gave birth to you, you know, because uh, that's a big deal. I mean, my kids are 16 and they're getting extremely expensive to run their lives, you know, and takes a ton of time to do it. And so if you were born, and I think you're all born, we owe our moms at least the birth and then acknowledging that they put some time and money into you at some level or another. So my hope and prayer is, is that you honor her. And if she's passed on, you honor her memory. And if you can't remember a whole lot, then you honor the role of motherhood and the, and the function of it. And so it's so important. Well, today we're getting started in a um, message that's out of 1 Samuel. It's a very interesting text. I've never studied it before until this uh, last uh, week or two. And I'm excited about it. It's an Old Testament story. Um, And then before I get there, though, I want to tell you a story about my mom. Um, My mom is a wonderful lady. I love her tremendously. Um, Some of my fondest memories as a kid was just being with mom. I got a great dad. I got a great mom. I'm a blessed man because of them. Um, anything great and good that I do, uh, I typically try to credit Jesus, uh, try to credit my mom, my dad, my wife. I mean, they have a major impact into my life. Um, mom played probably the greatest role, though, spiritually, and she's a lot of fun. So any fun creativi- creativity that you may see in me, I would say that's probably from my mom. She, she passed that on to me. So I'll tell you a funny story. I remember I was about five or six years old. And my mom uh, wanted to get the kids out during Halloween, and uh, so go visit some churches. So Halloween and churches is already complicated, right? It's like, what are they going to do? How are they going to dress? How churches respond? So I remember a fun memory of my mom. She said, all right, kids, and I've got um, two brothers and a sister at the time, and so we're all driving over there to the church, and I'm a little kid, and I, I didn't, we didn't have a lot of money, so I took some rags and I wrapped them around my body, and I was going to be a mummy, you know, because I liked the mummies, and, you know, like uh, Egypt and Pharaoh and all these other kind of cool mummies. And so anyway, I don't know if there was a TV show on with mummies, but I just wanted to be a mummy. 
So um, my brother's dressed up like a scary guy. He's got like, I don't know, he's got weird clothes on too. And we all look kind of weird and scary. So we're going out for Halloween. We think we're going to have a great time. We show up at this church and the lady at the door says, no, 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 no. No scary people in our church. And my, my mom's like, well, they are scary. I know they're very scary kids. And, uh, but what do you mean? Oh, well, we don't do anything unless they're biblical characters. And my mom's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. You know, and I see the candy on the other side. I'm like, let me in, let me in. And they're like, no, 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 no scary characters. And so my mom's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, we don't have enough time. We can't go to another church. Can't go to, we're going to have to figure this out. And so she looks at one boy, she redresses him. Then she looks at me and she says, mm, you're a mummy, right? I said, yes. And she says, you remember the story I taught you in, in the Bible about Lazarus? So Lazarus had grave clothes on. If they ask you what you are, just say Lazarus. And I'm like, all right, mom, I like this. So sure enough, we get to the door and the lady said, ma'am, I told you, you can't bring your kid in here. Your son, he's a mummy. That's just not, that's too scary for our people. And my mom said, no, he is not a mummy. Okay. Um, uh, Ryan, tell him who you are. I said, I am Lazarus. And she said, come on in, Lazarus, come on in. So we got in. So here's the creative moms that just kind of make it work, you know. Um, one other story I'll tell you uh, just about my, my mom and my dad. I remember I was a troubled teenager. I was a prodigal son kid. And I remember this is in my teenage years. And I went to I, my orientation, perhaps this is why I didn't become a Christian for so long. I had so many bad experiences with church. Raise your hand if you've ever had a bad experience with church. Just raise your hand. Be honest, okay? Hopefully it's not here, right? But, um, but I had a bad experience with church and, and religious people, t- deeply religious. I went to this really strict private school called Arkansas Baptist. And if you're watching this, I'm sorry, but your school was way too strict. But uh, so I'm a kid and I go to Arkansas Baptist and they have uniforms, right? There's nothing wrong with uniforms, but I just don't like uniforms, so anyway, I, I was supposed to wear on a certain day red shirt and blue pants and white because there was something, it was like a patriotic day, and I'm all patriotic as a family. We all totally are, but they're so strict. So I go to the school. I'm a teenager, young teenager, and uh, my, uh, they, they say, Ryan, get out of the classroom. You're not behaving right. You always cause trouble, and I was causing a lot of trouble. We're going to call your parents. I said, fine, call my parents, you know. My parents aren't super strict. I mean, they're, they're wonderful, loving people, but this will be funny how they respond. And so they call my dad, and my dad's like, you know, um, your son's not behaving. He didn't wear the proper dress attire. He says, what's the dress attire? It's red, white, and blue day. Well, what's he wearing? He's wearing red and blue. Um, oh, you got to be kidding me. Hang up the phone, call my mom. My mom's like, uh, you, you know, well, you got to get up here. They say, you got to get up here, Miss Rice, and, and pick up your boy because he's only wearing red and blue and he's not wearing white. And she says, well, then pull up his underwear and pull out the white and then send him to school. <laughs> I had a family. I come from that kind of family that just got a little sass and a little spunk in them. And I love it. I just think it's completely great. People say at this church sometimes, Ryan, you're politically incorrect. And I say, good, you know tired of being politically correct, so now I'm going to rip on politics. Just joking. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) Okay, so how do we honor mom? Um, We're going to look at an incredible story in the scriptures, 1 Samuel. Um, This book is a powerful book. It it actually tells the story and the glory of Israel 
coming into kind of a government structure. It's Israel's uh, first monarchy. And so it takes place about 3,000 years ago as to what we're going to be reading. And you might be thinking, like, how in the world is this going to be good? A 3,000-year-old storyline on Mother's Day. Well, if you believe that God's Word has authority and bearing on your life, then it's good, and it's timeless, and it's truthful. And so um, the name Samuel, the book's name, comes from a boy um, who's born to a mom who's been struggling with infertility for many, many, many years, and her name is Hannah. And Hannah's married to this guy called um, Elkanah. Everybody say that. Elkanah. Yeah, there he is. There you go. You learned a really weird word, really re- weird name. Name your kid Elkanah, I dare you. That'd be interesting. So Israel's being established. Samuel is going to be a, a powerful leader. And so let's jump into the storyline and let's, let's figure out um, Samuel's family. Let's find out who his dad is. Let's find out who his mom is. And then let's spend a lot of time on learning about Hannah. She's a profile. She's a person, I think, that is a powerful influence. She's a woman of influence that every woman should seek to emulate. But we need to know about her husband and her family dynamics and how she comes to this place to have this wonderful child by the name of Samuel. So here it is, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. And uh, I'm reading out of the ESV, and so if you don't have that version, you can just follow along. It says, there was a certain man of Ramatham, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. Now, he is the son of Jeroham, son of Elkhu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, and an Ephratite. That's a lot. Try to say that five times. <laughs> yeah, let me just point out to you Elkanah. Elkanah's from the hill country. He's from an obscure location. He's kind of an unimportant person. It'd be like uh, being from the backwoods of the hill country in Arkansas. Nobody cares about that. He's from the hill country. He's about uh, 25 miles north of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's a powerful city. Uh, But uh, where he's from is not really much going on. Elkanah, we don't know a lot about him other than he's married to a wonderful lady. Um, We know that his uh, place where he lived just really wasn't that big a deal. He's a pretty obscure person. And he's a very imperfect person, as you're going to learn about. So the Bible says in verse 2 about him and his relationships and his marriage, it said he had two wives. Now, some of you guys are thinking, man, that'd be awesome. I have two wives. Well, hold your horses, cowboy. This doesn't go well. So uh, here's the deal. Anytime anybody has multiple wives in Scripture, it tells the story of the great problems. So God, God actually purposed and planned marriage between one man and one woman, right? And so in Genesis, that's how it happens. And then Jesus picks up on that exact reference in Genesis and affirms the role of a relationship of marriage. It's really supposed to be between one man and one woman. And today, we try to do everything different. We want all sorts of different variations. So this guy has two wives, uh, Strike one against Elkanah, okay? Like, you shouldn't have two wives. You're just not supposed to do that. So he does that. He has two wives. And the name of one was Hannah. Now, she's the, she's the wonderful one. 
She's, she's his first love. I don't know if they met in high school back in the sticks or where they met, but they fell in love and he loves her. She's a really good woman. And we're going to learn about her. But the name of the other one is, uh, the name of the other is Pania. And Pania is the problem. She's going to be the problematic wife, which Elkanah can't get rid of because he doesn't want to go into further trouble and divorce her because that would be wrong. So he doesn't want to do that. And, and, and Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. In other words, she was infertile. She couldn't have babies. And back then, it was really bad not to have kids because what happened was is God did speak uh, to, to uh, prophetic leaders and said these words, and we find this in Deuteronomy, that children, help me out, are a blessing from the, the Lord. Children are a blessing. So here's what happened in the religious community. They took that and said, if children are a blessing, then to not have children is a curse. And so Pania, what she's doing is she has kids, but Hannah doesn't. So let me tell you this. Imagine that kind of scenario. Imagine you're Elkanah, okay? You got Hannah, whom you loved. You married her because you loved her. You, you just fell in love with her. Then she's like, I can't have kids. Then he's like, this is bad. I'm tired of the, I don't want to be a cursed man. I don't want my family to be cursed. He bought the lie. So I'm going to go get another lady. So he goes and gets another lady, and she's having kids. Imagine the tension between the two. Paniah, I'm going to call her problematic Paniah. Hannah, we'll call Holy Hannah, okay? Holy Hannah is the wonderful one. Paniah is the problem. But look back at Elkanah for a moment, because some of you might have, like, struggles in your marriage. Here's a grace message for you. This man did love the Lord, and he actually would take his family and go worship the Lord. It says in verse 3, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. That's where the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was. This is where there was worship. They'd go to Shiloh. It was like a pilgrimage. I don't know if you make a pilgrimage to get to church, if you drive more than 25 to 30, 40, 50 miles to get here. It's like a pilgrimage, man. It's a, it's a big trip that you're starting to go on. And so they, they do this, though. This is a man who actually did love God, but he got two wives. You think, well, what's he doing that for? He shouldn't do that. But remember, he didn't want to face the pressures of not having any kids, and he didn't want his name be associated with a curse. He wanted blessing. So they go up, and they're at Shiloh, where there's two sons, Eli. Uh, there's two sons of Eli. Eli is this priest. He's a bad dude, by the way. You read in chapter 2, you see that he's actually overweight, fat, lazy, and sits on the temple steps, finds out his boys got killed in battle, and falls over dead. He's just not a good guy. We'll call him Evil Eli. And then Hophni and Phinehas are the kids, and they're kind of running the show. We find out about them. They're bad dudes too. So Elkanah, Elkanah is going up and worshiping, and they're still good going on. God's still good, but there's some bad people leading this thing. The Bible tells us later that Hophni and Phinehas were basically sleeping with people at the footsteps of the temple. Just weird, wicked stuff. These are dark days, and in the middle of the darkness, guess what? Light shines down. You know who this light is on? The light's actually on Hannah. 
God's going to do something powerful in the midst of a very problematic season in time. Doesn't go to King Saul right away in 1 Samuel. Doesn't go to King David. It, it goes to Hannah is where the light is being drawn in the middle of the darkness. Verse 4, on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he'd give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Now listen to that. She's loaded with babies. She got kids cranking out everywhere. And then, but to Hannah, look what he did. He knew how probably insecure she was and frustrated and struggling. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion. He loved her so much that he'd give her twice as much. Now, can you imagine what that did to Paniah? He says that he gave this double portion to Hannah because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Verse 6, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. And she went up to the house of the Lord. She used to uh, and, and, she, as, and as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. You ever been so troubled in spirit that you just, you don't want to eat? You don't want to be around people? And Hannah would go on these pilgrimages to worship with her family, but she was tethered to this problematic Paniah. I don't know if you've got a problematic Paniah in your life or not that you can't get rid of for some reason or another, but that's what Hannah has. And you wonder, how is she going to respond with this? She's kind of got a, a doofus husband who's going off and marrying two different women just because he really wants some kids so bad. And he moves from kind of doofus to, to dumb. We're going to find that out real quick. And Eli's really no good either. So poor Hannah, holy Hannah, is hurting. Verse 8, here we go. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah. I'm like, what's he going to say? Hannah, why do you weep? You ever ask your wife that? Hey, sweetie, why are you crying? Why do you, why do you not eat? Like, shouldn't he know? Uh, and why is your heart so sad? Now, here's where it gets really bad. Am I not more to you than ten sons? you imagine that? Hey, sweetie, you can't have any kids? Don't you know I'm better than 10 of them? If that's you, man, you are in trouble. That should not be a good response for you as a husband to a wife who's struggling with infertility. This guy has got foot-in-the-mouth disease. He's not putting it together correctly. Verse 9, and after that, they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, and Hannah rose, and now Eli was... The priest was sitting on the seat besides the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. Later in chapter 2, you see he falls off that seat and he breaks his neck. He's overweight. He kind of lives a life of just corruption and debauchery. She's deeply distressed. Verse 10, she is deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She's frustrated probably because of the religious corruption. She's frustrated because her husband though he loves her tremendously, is still uh, putting up with Paniah, the problematic wife. And look what she does. She's going to pray a prayer that goes down in the history books. And she vowed a vow and said this to the Lord. O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but, you will, but will give to your servant a son then I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. 
She's basically saying, I'll, I'll promise you, Lord, you give me that son that you promised. If you really do that, I'll dedicate him all the days of his life to the Lord. She was talking about a Nazarite vow. It's the same vow that the, uh, the mother of Samson pledged to her boy to do the same thing. And then she continued, verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord, here's evil Eli, watch him, evil Eli observed her mouth, verse 13, Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. In other words, she just praying quietly. Therefore, Eli took to her to be a drunken woman. Imagine that, you're praying passionately and somebody comes up to you like, what are you, drunk? Verse 14, and Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put away your wine from you. Verse 15, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. This is holy Hannah. Verse 16, do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety, vexation. I don't know if you struggle with anxiety or not as a mother or feeling vexed. That implies that perhaps like a curse. She's, uh, she's probably reading too much into it. But you know, when, you get, when you're in a painful spot, right? Sometimes you're just not thinking clearly. And that's where she's at. She's not thinking clearly. She's deeply hurt. And so we see what happens. Eli kind of, kind of wakes up to his senses, verse 17. Then Eli answered, okay, go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, let your servant find, and she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. And then the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. She emerged out of that prayer time with some hope. She felt connected immediately in the power and the presence of the Lord in that prayer time. And Eli kind of woke up to his senses and said, okay, then I pray it goes good with you. Verse 19, and they, meaning uh, Elkanah, Paniah, and Hannah, they rose early in the morning. They're at the temple and they worshiped before the Lord. See, this is just a, a message right now for you wives that might be married to a, maybe a, a, a man who's kind of sh- struggling in his faith. He's got some troubles. He's messed up a lot. And he puts his foot in his mouth all the time. Here's a good note for you. Hannah's a great and godly woman. She's holy Hannah. And Elkanah is a mess. But he still loves the Lord. And he's trying. And that's a good thing. So here they go. They're worshiping before they got to take back off. And then they went back to their house at Ramah. That's 25 miles south. And then something happened. There was maybe a little spark in Hannah's eye. She's excited. He's excited. And it says, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. Let me ask you a question. What do you think that means? It means they were intimate. They had relations. And what it says, and the Lord remembered her. That's good. And verse 20, and in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. There's the miracle. She was infertile. Her womb was closed. God remembered her. God answered her prayer. She's going to give birth to a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I've asked from him from the Lord. 
Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that it would make more sense now that we'd apply it into our lives. I pray that wherever we're going through, that we turn towards you for help. Thank you for the timeless truth that you have for us. Pray that we'd receive it in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So what, how do we take this and apply it to our lives? I'd say, number one, just realize this, that women of influence oftentimes experience great pain. Pain is perhaps one of the greatest teachers for life. We don't learn a lot oftentimes when everything just goes easy. I mean, we can. Some of you are really good at that. But uh, I don't know if you're like me or not, but I actually try to, I, I kind of operate pretty well under pressure. Some of you do it better than others. But I do know this, that Jesus said it like this, in this world, you're going to face troubles, but take heart because I've overcome that world. I do know this, that the Bible consistently says and continually says this, is that God never promised that he's going to deliver you from all your trials and tribulations, but he said, I'll be there with you in them. I do know this, that when you're out talking with other people and you start to, to try to share some and impart some wisdom and you tell them about your trouble, your trial, your struggle, and then how you depended on the Lord, your testimony is amplified. I do know this, that when you have zero problems and act like everything's perfect, everybody says, good for you. It isn't. Sometimes the greatest thing that we could ever experience is pain. If Hannah had not had the dysfunctional marriage with problematic Paniah and Elkanah, Elkanah, then I don't know if she would have prayed. See, it was the problem that gave her the pathway to depend on God that opened up the doors for something holy and incredible. It was in the darkness of evil Eli and his boys that was going on that God's going to shine down his light, not on a man, but on a woman. To be a hope and a help to the formation of the nation of Israel. So if you want to think about Israel even today, you ought to go back and think about Hannah. Because Hannah is the one who prays to God. Samuel is the one that's born. Samuel is the one that's going to turn around. He will identify Saul and say, you'll be the king. And then when Saul screws up, she's going to, he's going to say to Saul, Saul, God's favor is resting on this new man. His name is David. And David will be the new leader. And out of David, we get the lineage of Jesus Christ. See, Hannah, Hannah is something special. But it was through incredible pain and all throughout her infertility, her dysfunctional marriage, her uh, feeling of being cursed, that she's not a blessed woman, she's a cursed woman. And this constant nagging and struggle and frustration she had with Paniah, it had to be incredibly problematic. But in the middle of it, she responds the right way. And we see this all throughout Scripture. Women who have incredible influence are going through great pain. Think about Sarah, who was childless and unable to conceive in her old age. And God promised Sarah that she would have a child in Abraham, and they give birth to a son, finally. God delivered on his promise. Or what about Mary? Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was told that she, while she was a virgin that she would be with child in this incredible pain. Knowing that her life could be taken, she'd be public ridicule, she'd suffer all sorts of torment emotionally and even physically in her own heart. Because right before Jesus was born, an angel said to Mary, Mary, this son that you're going to bear, he'll be like a sword in your soul. And then Mary breaks out in powerful prayer. 
And she says, I'm going to walk this pathway of pain. See, here's the deal, ladies. If you choose to escape this pathway of pain, perhaps you're going to miss the greatest lesson God has for you. So these women that I read about and share with you about, they're incredible examples of perseverance. And even in the American spirit that we love and that we cherish and we celebrate, the the folks that come out of nothing and they go through adversity and then they keep pressing through. That is to be applauded. The Christian life is not supposed to be easy. Your faith is not supposed to be easy. But you have a God who, who will take your problems and his yoke and his burden is easy. And in that, we can find some hope. In that, we can trust that the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us all the time. And so women of influence, my friends, they're often people that experience great levels of pain. For us, I can think back on my time of of raising kids, and I've seen through my my most painful moments in parenting, God uses it to draw us closer together as a husband and wife. God uses it for me to call out on him a little bit more. I can think about when I was a kid and all the great pain that I caused my parents. Man, I love my mom and my dad all the more now because I've seen the dark side. And I saw how their testimony had a powerful influence on my life. See, sometimes these uh, great pains can be an incredible uh, pathway for progress, hope, and healing. Number two, women of influence have powerful prayers. Hannah had a powerful prayer. You continue on in the chapter, and then in chapter two, you can see her prayer being unfolded. She pours her heart out before God. She's praying all the time. She's praying without ceasing so much that people think she's a lunatic or a drunk. She's just babbling out prayers everywhere. I can remember looking back on my life and seeing my mom pray for me when I was in my darkest days, walking in at two o'clock in the morning, sneaking out and coming in and see my mom on the couch praying for me. Man, that haunted me. She loved me. Women of influence have powerful prayers and they get things done in the unseen world, the spiritual realm. So you think about stories of like Elizabeth, God had promised her husband that she'd have a child. She was... uh, infertile as well in the New Testament, and it seemed impossible because of her age. And Elizabeth prayed. She prayed. She prayed for a son for many years, and then one day she was found to be with child. See, prayers can change things. Good mamas pray. They pray. I I can't tell you how many people I know that prayed for me when I came to faith in Christ. It was usually the moms that came up to me and said, I prayed for you. And I'm like, well, they worked. Remember one time I had this old teacher uh, named Miss Starrett. She's, she's an, um, a mother of many children. I don't know how many kids she had, but she was at that really tight religious school, Arkansas Baptist, and I came to faith in Christ, and then everybody heard, oh, Ryan became a Christian, and then, oh, you know, and after about a year or two of everybody watching to see if it really stuck, you know, then they, put, they asked me to start speaking. So I went to the chapel one day, and I'm preaching and teaching in Arkansas Baptist, and I was no, uh, not keeping in touch with the time. Uh, I went over, the bell rang, and all the kids stood up, and this little old lady came out, Miss Starrett, she's a teacher, and she said, I think we need to continue to hear from Ryan. I'm like, whoa, what a day of redemption. After I got done preaching, everybody left, and she, she came up to me, and she said, just so you know, Ryan, I was praying for you for years and years. She's a mom pouring out her prayers. 
Women of influence have powerful prayers. I think of Mary, the chosen by God, by the mother of Jesus. She shows her character in her prayer life. Luke chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 1. I'll just read you a portion of her prayer. Just close your eyes and listen to this mother who pours out her heart in prayer. She says, after knowing that she's pregnant with the Son of God, she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of me, humble estate, his servant. From now on, all generations are going to call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name. See, I just need you to know, moms, that your prayers are powerful. They have incredible influence. You can't see it now because you don't have the supernatural lenses on sometimes. But when you, when you, when you get to heaven, you're going to see all that unfolded. I can't think of, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't think half of y'all are here without a mom praying for you. I bet if you look back on your spiritual journey and your life, you could probably link it back somewhere in your family line and go, I had a praying mom. Women of influence have powerful prayers. Number three, women of influence have the right priorities. This uh, principle, this idea right here, I think is just, it's simple and it's profound at the same time, but it's just keeping first things first. It's just putting your priorities into a priority. Whatever you care about, that's what you focus on and you do. Hannah is a great example of that. So much so that I don't want to illustrate anybody else other than Hannah on this point. And what I mean by that is I look at the life of Hannah. Is that while she had lots of problems, she had great priorities. Her first priority was a relationship with God. She loved the Lord. That's all the Bible says about her. Is that she was one who had a faith and she lived it out. Secondly, I would say is that she prioritized her relationship with her husband. And you think, why is that important? Because let me tell you something, friends, right? If you got kids, then the greatest influence makers on those kids is the father and the mother. And in that relationship called husband and wife is the most powerful ministry you're going to have on your biological kids. The Apostle Paul says that marriage is to be the, the main illustration for the entire gospel message is your marriage, your forgiving marriage, a loving marriage, a covenant-keeping marriage. See, Hannah had probably every reason to be mad at her husband, right? Amen? Elkanah was not necessarily the sharpest tool in the tool shed. He loved God, but he made all sorts of mistakes. She prioritized her husband. Nothing in Scripture says that she, she disregarded, got mad, created problems. She prioritized her marriage. If you want to be a great mother, remember your relationship to your husband matters tremendously. And I would say in American culture, we do uh, priorities completely backwards in the family life. Here's what we do. We value children, number one. So then it becomes a child-centered home, not a Christ-centered home. And so then the whole marriage revolves around the children. And then guess what? When the children move away, guess who else is going to move away? The husband and the wife. Why? Job's done. Leave. Men go out and find a younger, more uh, pretty version of the uh, wife that they had. The, wife, the wives usually don't get remarried. So Hannah's priority is God, it's husband, and then it's children. And God blesses this. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you read in chapter 2, it says that the Bible says is that God gave her three more girls and two more boys. There's incredible blessing in that. 
And God had promised a blessing on her life all along, but it wasn't until she experienced the great pain and the problems that she really starts praying. And then God responds in, in, in to her prayer. So she prioritized the right relationships. And lastly, she prioritized keeping peace in the home. I love this idea here. She prioritized peace. What do I mean by that? Like, what I mean is that the whole world was shaking around her. She had a, a scandalous or a frustrating relationship in the community. She, people called her cursed. She was uh, uh, barren. She was infertile. God was against her from the community standpoint. But she stands strong and she keeps forward. She's got a problematic Paniah living in the home, sleeping with her husband, called a wife. Her, her husband's doing polygamy when he, God never uh, purposed and planned polygamy to be a part of marriage and actually spoke against the idea and affirmed the idea of a monogamous relationship all throughout the Scripture. And all we see in Scripture is the problems of that. But guess what Hannah does? Rather than getting mad and then getting retaliating against Elkanah, her husband, or Paniah, she's a blessing. She keeps peace in the home. How do you do that? You're in touch with the Prince of Peace, that's how. If you're in touch with the Prince of Peace, then when you come into a crisis, you can bring a calm. If you're not connected to the Prince of Peace, you go into a crisis and all you do is get crazy. And you get more chaotic. But she was so, Holy Hannah was so connected to the Lord during this time, and she had the right priorities. She loved her husband despite his dysfunction. And she could bring a peace to the home, and she never took it out on Paniah's kids. She never took it out on them. Those were her half-kids, stepchildren. She never took it out on them. She created peace in the home. So my exhortation to you all as mothers is to follow the example of Hannah. What a powerful example. What a godly profile of what it means to be a godly mother and a woman of influence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray that we would apply it. We wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. I thank you for the, the powerful testimony of Hannah's life and, Father, how it still has an impact and creates a picture and a profile for what we ought to be looking for in the life of a godly mother and to be a woman of influence for your name and your fame. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, before I uh, step off the stage, I just want to say thanks to many of you uh, for your giving to the church financially. Um, this last week, uh, we uh, discovered that there's a mom down in Mexico with one of our partners that fell on incredibly difficult times, and uh, her family's been displaced, and uh, she has a bunch of kiddos. And uh, through our ministry partners down in Mexico, um, we're helping support them. And so we were able to, because of your faithful giving, your financial giving, we were able to send down some support right away um, and to help them. So I want to say thank you to you. Would you celebrate that for a moment? So my prayer is today for this family that their Mother's Day might just be a little bit more special, knowing they got a church that cares and uh, supports. So thank you for your generosity. Those of you that are new, um, don't feel any obligation to give. We've actually got a gift for you back at the Connection Corner. We'd love to send you home with today. For those of you that have been here and this is your home, um, I'm going to encourage you, continue to partner with us. Let's do great things together. Right? Amen? All right. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.